Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11, and it says, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things in him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I just want us to look at that those verses there for a few minutes and just just think about some things. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now the apostles and prophets are no longer with us. Their their time is over. And that being it, it, because we have the revealed will of God. We have all of it. Is James one twenty five calls it the perfect will of God. So we've got it complete revelation of it so their function the the apostles and the prophets are not needed this day because of the revelation but there are uh, there is a need for evangelists pastors or the elders shepherds and teachers there are needs for them and they are as it mentions in this book there's a reason for them for them equipping the saints edifying the body of christ for, till we all uh, attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, till we become a perfect man, no longer children, but grow up. And the effective working which every joint supplies, which we all, the function that we all have, and we're growing again, and we're edifying of itself in love. And so those uh, evangelists, pastors, or elders, and teachers help to edify us, help to equip us for the life that lays ahead of us. So that's what I want us to look at this morning, actually, is the equipping and edifying the saints. Equipping and edifying the saints. I want us to look at the word equipping for just a moment. It's, it, the definition, and this is a definition from several different sources, so I just didn't sort, uh, cite them all. But it's to make one sufficient for something. We know what sufficient means. It's to make one completely adequate, to completely be completely qualified for, and it is a fitting. Makes us fit to do something. And we are being, uh, as it were, prepared fully for the life as a saint. So we'll know how to live. So we would be armed, if you will, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped so that we'll know and can learn how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do. And so it, it equips us fully makes us qualified in, in the eyes of God. So I want us to look then 
to be completely, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. They're no longer children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. But they are discerning of good and evil. They know the difference. They know good teaching from bad teaching by being equipped by learning scripture. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, it says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, complete, full, mature in Christ Jesus, warning every man, teaching every man, in all wisdom, that we may be presented that way, that we would be acceptable in the eyes of Christ. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So what do you think equipping us for uh, the saints involves? What's the, the result of that is we will be like the teacher? We should be able to teach. That scares some people because they think they don't know enough. Think they don't know enough. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody, no preacher, that knows everything about Scripture. But they teach. There are some things in Scripture that are hard to understand. But they teach. I think it can be understood, but it's most difficult. But that's one of our responsibilities, to be like the teacher, to engage in the activity. So, there is some student responsibility in this equipping of the saints. The student has some responsibility, doesn't he? It's not all on the teacher. <clears throat> His job is to, to equip. But the student has to be an active participant. It is required. Do you know that? It is required that we actively participate. That we take to the training, if you will. That we are willing to learn. Not just have the information, but have the information so that we can use it to study God's word. Whether it's at home or whether you're on vacation, that's part of, the, part of being a saint, part of my responsibility to do what I'm supposed to do is to be equipped and that's going to take some study at home <clears throat> so that we can put the teaching to use so that wherever we are, whatever we do, we are prepared. We are equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 2, it says, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If we're not growing, I don't think we're equipping ourselves to be the saints that God wants us to be, that Jesus died for. So it's an ongoing process. It's a never-ending process that has to be begun. That's my responsibility for me 
It's your responsibility for you to begin. So we've got to be equipped, and we have the responsibility to do that. But really the thoughts I was thinking about before we were all separated by this coronavirus deal is the edifying edification. In this instance, in these verses, talking about edifying the body of Christ. That's us. It is. That word edifying, again, these are from more than one source, but is the process of building. It is building. It is construction. It is an edifice. It's, it is a, it is, this, is a, this is an edifice. So it's a process of becoming a, the construction or the building that Jesus wants us to be. It's also the, the act of building up, up building and strengthening. Up building. Building up. Strengthening the body of Christ. But there was one definition I saw, and when I saw that, I thought, well, I never quite thought about it, just in those, quite those words. And it's to make more able. To get the mind right, to get motivated right, to be able to serve the Lord the way we're supposed to be. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Let's look at a few verses there. Romans chapter 8. Let's see what Paul says, beginning in verse 31. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God's force, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him, how shall yeah, he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who, who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. I'll just go ahead and read 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's Paul doing to those people? He's reminding them of some things that are essential for us to keep in mind. If God's for us, who's against us? Who will be successful against us if God is for us? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nobody can make me, take me from the Lord unless I just give up. 
Methuselah separated from the love of Christ, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, peril, sword? No. No. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can beat this world. We can beat the effects of this world in our lives through Christ. So he says, I am persuaded that neither life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus for us. The only thing, the only person that can separate us from the Lord is me. The only person that can separate you from the Lord is you. So he's encouraged them. In Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 14. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at, your la- at, at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned that in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is talking with all kinds of people, Paul is, in various locations. I don't know how many times he would have said these very same things in different congregations, but he writes to the church at at Philippi and he's telling them these things I have no doubt he told other people the same thing as well he said I can do all things I know how to be abound I know how to be abased I, I, I know how all that stuff but whatever predicament that might arise I can do it through Christ I can sust- be sustained through Christ he's strengthening up these brethren at Philippi In Philippians, also in Philippians 4, verse 3, And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Help these women who labored with me in the gospel, along with all these others. What's that going to do to them? Get help from people they may not even know. What is that going to do to them? It's going to strengthen them. It's going to edify them, build them up. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, it says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Again, he's writing to the, the church at Colossae. And I always, I always think that's he didn't tell Colossae only this. <laughs> he just didn't. Probably every place he went heard these things. But he writes it to the church at Colossae. Don't be deceived by, pers- by uh, persuasive words. 
He says, I'm not with you in the flesh, but I'm with you. And so there's that, that kinship with him. That he's not there, but he's there. Rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. What's that going to do? Motivate him to stay steadfast? Because he knows what's going on there. Walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. That's these people right here. Because they're abounding in it. With thanksgiving. So, again, he's told people about them. And he's telling them that you stay steadfast. Do what, keep, do what got you here. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 32, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What does he commend them to? What is it that he's telling them in this verse? I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Think that's the Bible? Think that's the revelation of God that he's telling them that stay in the book, read scripture, and it'll build you up. It'll give you strength. You'll be that edifice that, he, that he's looking for. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. You just keep on doing that. You build each other up. That's our responsibility. We have a responsibility again to do that for each other. To make sure you're doing well, to make sure I'm doing well. Comfort one another and edify one another. In First Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 4. Paul wasn't the only one who encouraged people. Here's Peter. He says, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men and chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the scriptures, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of, a st a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Again, redundant, but he's building them up. 
Look at yourselves. Think about who you are, living stones, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, spiritual sacrifices that you offer. Again, in verse 9, you're a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people. That's pretty amazing. You're a special person. We are in the Lord's eyes. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our responsibility, to proclaim his praises. Because he has done so much for us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Ephesians 4, 29. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Necessary edification. When we were not all together and assembled, it was hard to get the necessary edification from each other that we need. After about a week or ten days, I was thinking, man, being home and going to the grocery store and going to get some prescriptions, that was it. That was it. And I thought, well, i got to do something. So I just decided, okay, I'll just start studying Galatians. So I, that's what I did every day, every day. Second Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5.1, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, waiting for us. Just got to persevere. We got to keep on going. Well, how long does this edifying and uh, equipping of the saints how long does it go on? How long does it continue? Look at those verses a little further. It says, till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to no longer children, that we'll grow up in all things in him. We're all knit together. It goes on as long as there is an earth as we know it. It never stops. And that's a good thing. As long as I'm breathing, I have a responsibility to Try to build you up, be built up, and learn. Being equipped to do what God wants me to do. It won't quit. It won't end. And that's a good thing. Because I can get that refreshment that I need every day. Not not physical food, but God's word every day. I can get that. And we all can. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7... Verse 13 beginning, 2 Corinthians seven thirteen. Paul writes to Corinth, he says, Therefore we have been comforted in, you, comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I'm not ashamed, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. 
Paul talked about Corinth to Titus before Titus went there. And Titus is refreshed by you all. Now, let's think about that. He's refreshed. He's going on a task that Paul sent him on. And he's refreshed when he gets there. And then Paul says, I'm refreshed because uh, Titus is refreshed. It's just kind of circular thing, isn't it? That we're that if I can help you, you can help me, and that that's just the way this thing works. That we all need to be here so that we can edify each other, so we can know. And I've used this phrase too much, probably that we're not alone in this. We're all in this together. In Romans chapter fourteen, verse nineteen. So therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Let's pursue those. Let's run to those things with an urgency. Run and do those things which make for peace and the things which, by which one may edify another. In 1 Timothy, or, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 5.15, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Pursue what is good. In Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What does he do when he presses for that? What does that word mean? I press toward the goal. Of the pri- for the prize of the upward call of God and good. What does that word press means? And it means to strive energy energetically for some purpose. This is just the word press in the Aramaic. To strive energetically for some purpose. I strive energetically for the prize. He's, he knows where he's going. I strive energetically for the goal. of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he says he does. Turn with me to Isaiah 37. Isaiah 37. I hope it's 37. It is. Here is Hezekiah. And he's got some men have come to see him, the Rabshakeh and the Rabsharis. And, and um, actually, we can go to the chapter 30, yeah, 36, 36. And they have come, the Rabshakeh, the Rabsharis, they have come from the king of Assyria, and he's wanting to take them down. He's wanting to take Jerusalem down, and he's telling them. He said, what other nation's gods have been able to resist me? <laughs> it's pretty smart if you think about it. The other gods, they, they just, they, what good did they do the other nations? He said, no, they didn't do any good. He said, you've torn down the high altars and all the, the high places of the God that you supposedly serve. It's, it's, it's a brilliant attack. So he's trying to tear them down, to break their will to take away their resistance of him and give up. Well, to make a long story short, Hezekiah goes to Isaiah 
And he said, look, here, here we have. What, you know, this is not good. And Isaiah tells him, he said, don't you worry about it. He won't even build a siege mound against this city. Nothing's going to happen. Hezekiah takes the letter. He goes into the, the temple. In verse 14 of chapter 37, And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. That's an amazing statement to me. This is just like the Lord doesn't know. But spread it out for the Lord so it would be there for him. And he prayed. And Hezekiah, his army, 185,000 died overnight. And Sennacherib goes back to his home. And sometime later, two of his sons killed him while he's worshiping his God. And his, his son, Esarhaddon, becomes king in his place. He had tried his best to make them give up, but they would not. God was on their side. God's on our side. If we strive energetically for the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, are you striving? Are you? If you're not, then you should. If you've not been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, that's what it takes. To be, to be in him, in Christ, to be part of the body of Christ, to be one of those saints that can edify and be edified, that can equip and be equipped. If you have not been baptized or if you have been, but need the prayers of, of saints about some matter, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing? On the upper